0: Hi, everyone, and welcome to Let's Talk Risk with Dr. Naveen Agarwal, where each week we talk about a topic related to risk management of medical devices. I'm your host, Naveen Agarwal, Principal and Founder at Achieve, where my personal mission is to help you achieve success in risk management. In this episode, I'm joined by Dr. Adam Saltman to talk about how best to bring the voice of the patient in the medical device product development and post market. He is the best person to discuss this topic because not only is he a medical doctor with experience in surgery, but he has also worked at the US FDA. So he has deep understanding of the patient perspective as well as that of regulatory authorities. We had this conversation in front of a live audience as part of a LinkedIn live audio event. You're about to hear a recording of our conversation. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. I'm so excited to welcome Adam. Uh, hello, Adam. Um, welcome to our conversation again. I'm so excited that you are able to join today.
1: Well, thanks for asking me on, Naveen. It's a, it's a terrific uh, honor and a
0: compliment that I'm glad to be here. Awesome, Adam. So, why don't we get started with uh, just a little bit of introduction uh, from you? Um, you know, you have had such a distinguished career, and if you could share maybe a few uh, key pivotal moments in your career that shaped your career decisions for all of us to uh, to learn from, that'll be great. Sure. Yeah. Thanks for asking. Um, I
1: think, uh, yeah, I mean, someone once said to me that I've kind of had three careers, I guess. Uh, That's one way to look at it. I mean, I started out as a clinician. Um, I practiced heart surgery for about 20 years, and um, that was a very, very good way to uh, gain an exposure and an experience with risk because every decision Uh, you make and every decision that a patient makes is based really on a benefit-risk assessment and, uh, you know, what procedure are they going to undergo and is it worth it and is it uh, the right thing to do? And I can certainly, you know, give you some anecdotes about that if people are interested, but I then went into uh, regulation as uh, you pointed out, I worked for the FDA and I got very involved there uh, with the post-market benefit-risk decision-making process that uh, the FDA had come out with in 2016 on their benefit-risk guidance and uh, really dug deeply into that in terms of, um, you know, what are the specific factors considered, uh, where do patients play a role in those decisions about what to do with devices when they malfunction. Um, So that really opened my eyes and I met a lot of people in industry as well who were involved in risk assessments and so Uh, We did an effort with uh, Amy um, to put together kind of a risk-benefit framework. Uh, So, I mean, it was a tremendous learning experience for me, and I saw how that was dealt with from the industry perspective um, in dealing with defective products. And then Mm -hmm. uh, actually entering industry itself as a chief medical officer, uh, having to deal with the entire product Mm lifecycle, and uh, where do you insert patient perspectives into the design of the product, the product, uh, the marketing of the product, or when a product goes wrong, uh, and then how do you continually improve the product to decrease the risk of it uh, mm-hmm. uh, in the market. So,
0: that's that's yeah. really awesome. So one thing I noticed, which is interesting to me, is uh, when, you te- when you speak about risk, I heard you say benefit-risk. I heard you say benefit-risk together. So I was very curious to hear about your perspective. Uh, first, as a physician surgeon, you know, how, you mentioned you evaluate the risk of your decisions at the patient level by looking at the benefits. Why is it important for us to look at both?
1: Yeah, that's um, right. I know that your, your um, session is called Let's Talk Risk, and I'm introducing benefits, so I guess I'm sorry about that. But, yeah, you have to really... Um, look at who is taking the risk. And that is where you need to get the information from and how they consider that balance. Mm -hmm. And so um, I told you a little earlier that I might go into an anecdote and I will briefly in the sense that when I was called by a physician to go see their patient because they needed an operation, the discussion I had with the patient was, you know, here's the benefits of doing this procedure and mm-hmm. here are the risks. Mm-hmm. And, of course, you know, the risks include not doing the procedure. So, mm-hmm. you know, it was the patient who made that decision. And it's really fascinating to me how they uh, did that calculation and made that decision. And so, uh, benefits are a very, very
0: important component of that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and certainly, we talk about risk here. And the reason I mentioned this to you is because, in general, my observation is we talk about risk a lot more. Then we talk about benefits. And in the new revision of the latest revision of ISO 14971, I believe there's a little bit more emphasis on benefits for the first time. And that's one key message I want our audience to take away today. So what I heard you say, Adam, was that in your role as a physician or surgeon, you are acting as a facilitator of the decision, helping your patient make the decision at their level. Is that correct? Absolutely. Yes, so so you are not really imposing your views, but you are presenting them a very balanced view of what the benefits are for them and what the risks might be for them. And it is, it, that is where you had that conversation going.
1: Yes, and I think it's really important to keep that in the center of your thinking because I saw physicians that didn't do that, that they uh, made the decision from their perspective. In other words... Uh, oh, this patient is too. Uh, this patient is at too high risk to have this procedure, and they would make the decision without actually engaging the patient. They would mm-hmm. almost deny them the ability mm-hmm. to participate, and I found that to be uh, bizarre. I just mm-hmm. that didn't make any sense to me. Um, so yes, you really have to keep the patient at the center of it and let them uh, voice
0: their opinion about the balance. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. So let me now ask you uh, the, the the view of a regulator. You know, you worked at the FDA, and again, you mentioned working on the benefit-risk guidance. Now, they, they are not talking about an individual patient-level conversation or a decision. They're talking as a whole, the target audience, the target patient population for their intended use. How does that factor into their conversations from a regulatory point of view?
1: Well, from a regulatory point of view, um, essentially the agencies use proxies rather than use the actual patients. And there are many reasons for that, which, um, uh, first of all, it's very difficult to speak to every single patient who might have a medical device uh, used on them, for example. So you need to use a proxy of some kind. Um, But the question is really, you know, where in the life cycle? are they gaining the appropriate information? Mm-hmm. Um, the regulators look at things like um, you know what kind of benefit, uh, what's the likelihood of benefit for the population or for specific subpopulations. Then they look at the risk, similar kinds of questions. How severe is the risk? What's the likelihood of the risk uh, or of the harm, I should say, uh, and then how to mitigate it. But what I noticed when you go through the regulations, and when you go through 14971 as well, is that these proxies are used over and over again, uh, like the literature or Mm -hmm. um, medical device reports or things like that. And they don't actually say, go out and ask the patient. (laughs) Um, Or a patient advocacy group or some reasonable uh, substitute for the patient. Mm -hmm.
0: So it's missing. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I want to share with you um, and with the audience uh, results of two LinkedIn polls I did recently. I think that will put things in perspective where the gaps are. So, I first asked people who they thought were their primary customers. I actually asked about customers, but most people responded by saying um, they considered patients, which, you know, patients are a very important stakeholders, nearly 80%. Then I asked a follow up question Okay, if that is so, how much time, what percentage of your time do you actually end up spending listening to your primary stakeholder? Guess. What? More than 75% of the people said they spent less than 25% of their time. So you see, in the industry, we are practicing risk management, quality management. We are doing all this work, creating so much paper. And we are not even getting, probably in my view, the voice of the patient. So I wanted to ask you, with your experience in the industry, how do you bring that in? And how do you make sure that voice of the patient is appropriately heard do it in risk management?
1: Uh, That is, um, that's the $64,000 question because there have been several efforts to do that and I I said much earlier on that it's logistically quite difficult to get every single patient obviously. Mm -hmm. But um, you know, there have been some efforts, I mean for example the FDA has put in a, a patient Um, advisory group, a patient engagement advisory group, things like that. Uh, But I think that the best way to do that is to figure out where along the product life cycle patient perspective is important. I mean, at the concept stage, at the clinical testing stage, during uh, post-market experience, Mm -hmm. uh, particularly if there are problems with the device, and then feeding back into future uh, development of the device, like improvements, et cetera. And then setting up some kind of a standing engagement uh, with patient groups that you can pull on, like mm-hmm. advisors. I mm-hmm. mean, there are scientific advisory boards at many um, companies, there are medical advisory boards, et cetera. But if you look at them, they don't contain patients. Uh-huh. Uh, they have physicians, uh, they have scientists, but they don't actually have the primary customer, as you pointed out, Naveen, right? Mm-hmm. They don't have the patient on them. So there's this big disconnect.
0: Yeah, yeah. And, you know, another experience I'll share with you, my personal experience, I'm, I'm an engineer by training. So I, I do product, de- I've done product development. I know how it works. I have an engineering mind. And when I started doing risk management about 10 years ago, the, th- what I learned, I really didn't know anything about risk management until I started working with medical doctors, surgeons, physicians and I was so fortunate to work with them for a period of five years that is where I felt like we had this missing gap so I know many companies cannot have full-time uh, staff with clinical or medical expertise for example even medical safety officers right uh, I don't think many companies have this role medical is, is that uh, is that just my impression or how do you what is your observation about that?
1: Yeah, I agree. I haven't seen it that often. Um, You know, one of the things I did at FDA, just to kind of address that a little bit, when a uh, device was being recalled and a company performed a health hazard evaluation, Mm -hmm. the first thing I did as a clinician, I looked at the authors of the health hazard evaluation document, Mm -hmm. and the first thing I looked for was a clinician, and many, many times there was no clinician. And I said, how can you determine the risk of the device? How can you determine the benefit-risk assessment? Should this device stay on the market or not? That kind of question, if you had no clinician, at least some clinical perspective. And uh, so, yeah, you're right. That position is missing in a lot of uh,
0: organizations. So, in that case, I'm curious now, Adam, if, if you came across that at your desk at that TA, um, how did you go about kind of responding to that?
1: Yeah. So it depended um, largely upon how much I agreed or disagreed with the company's assessment of the risk, Mm -hmm. because I looked at it through a clinical lens. Mm -hmm. And I mean, if I agreed, then there wasn't, uh, you know, much to uh, discuss. But if I disagreed, well, I was on the phone with the company and I would say, you know,
0: we need a clinical perspective here. Yep. Um, So, yeah. So, I mean, what I'm Hearing you say that, hey, we write all, we, we do all this risk management and analysis and assessments. We write risk management reports in our documentation. If we don't see among the list of people somebody with clinical background or medical be- irrelevant clinical background, that should raise a red flag, right? Immediately. Yes. And at least exactly, it's it. a red flag. And we are not going to say that you have done it wrong, but we're going to be skeptical about your benefit risk evaluation correct? And we're going to ask more questions. Right, exactly. Fascinating. Fascinating. Guys, so I think this is a, it's a good setup for our conversation in the next 15, 20 minutes or so. And uh, as you all know, uh, if you have joined before, that this is the time I invite you to raise your hand virtually. And the way you will do that is find those three dots on on your profile photo, and request to speak and I'll bring you on stage and it takes a while so you know don't wait if you are interested in having a conversation with Adam on this topic sharing your insights raise your hand and I'll bring all of you on stage uh, I can get quite a few people at one time so um, don't be shy don't hesitate because that is the whole point point. and uh, getting Adam's insight from a clinician's point of view from a regulatory point of view on risk management uh, can be very very useful to us so Adam, I want to continue continue our conversation on on this topic. Um, so certainly we have a gap, right? So um, you just you just told me that you're going to be working in a pretty strategic role now uh, in a, in your new opportunity that you have. Uh, what what would be your suggestions and advice on how to bridge this gap in the industry?
1: I think that uh, as you go through the development of a device, uh, through that life cycle I mentioned earlier. Uh, you have to ask at every step who is taking the risk and how do I get their perspective? Um, and so, you know, if it's the very design of the device, then you have to say, okay, I'm building this device and it's going to be used in such a way on such a population of patients who is taking the risk. And Something you pointed out a few minutes ago about the poll you took, Naveen, where you said um, 80% of people thought that their primary customer was a physician. There's actually, I see it a little bit differently. There's a disconnection there because the medical device industry doesn't sell devices to patients directly the yes. vast majority of the time. Yes. They're selling them to the physician. That's right. And so, the physician is making that surrogate decision for the for the patient, right? I'm going to use a certain heart mm-hmm. valve, or I'm going to use a certain pacemaker, or whatever. Mm-hmm. I have never had a patient come to me and say, "Oh, I want Company X's heart yes. right? valve." Yes. Never had that happen. Yes. So I'm the one assessing the risk and benefit of all the different valves and so forth and so on. So yeah, I mean that's the thing. You need to ask who is taking the risk, and then how do I get them involved? So.
0: That is a great, that's a great insight. Absolutely. So I think what the takeaway message from me is that when you are doing your design and development, you're just starting out. We are supposed to do a design and development plan, right? We should, we should ask this question. Who is the best source of information for us to learn about the risk? Who is the Target audience and how we bring that information. Okay, great. So, David, I know you have joined, and uh, I want to invite you to share what you have in mind. Thank you. Can you hear me? Yes,
2: absolutely. Yeah, great, uh, Dr. Salman. Thank you so much. I, I really appreciated your your comments. My question is almost the flip side of the coin from Naveen's comment. It, who at, say, a hypothetical large device manufacturer? is the target audience to make a decision to make this a priority, it, it, kind of a general, you know, across the board to start making this more of a, a priority corporate wide. Um, so not necessarily the people who need to know the details, but the people who understand that this is an issue and need to make this a priority across the enterprise. Um not sure I understood you exactly, David. Um,
1: you mean what particular components of the
0: design uh, development plan, or actually, David? Let, guess, let me maybe, take a let me take a shot at that. I think what I'm hearing you say is that who among the decision makers in an organization, a large manufacturer of medical devices, for example, who among those decision makers should be thinking about this? Is that what I'm hearing you say, David? Precisely. Thank you. <laughs> oh, got it. Okay. No, thank you.
1: Sorry, I was confused there for a second. Um, yeah, so that is a fascinating topic, actually, because when uh, I became exposed to that, it was mostly in the post-market space, when a device was non-conforming or violative, and we had to evaluate the risk, we would go back to the manufacturer's original risk assessments and look at like their FMEAs and things like that. And I mean, I, I've always been incredibly impressed by engineers and their ability to really, really, you know, assess all the risks and, and things that could happen to the product and so forth. But that is where I would say, you know, the stakeholder is not just the engineer. Um, that's where they need to say, let me expose the potential users of the product, the people who are taking the risk to this and make sure I've got my FMEA correct. Um, so those stakeholders, but you know, they don't need to be involved in manufacturing or things like that. So, I mean, the stakeholders come and go, depending on where you are in this life cycle. I know I keep going back to that structure, like kind of Mm -hmm. construct. Mm -hmm. Um, but I hope that kind of answers your question. Um, and you know, patients are not involved
0: right in the initial risk um, assessment for so when the product is being designed. Or, or, or Adam, I think where I, what I have seen happen is that people make a lot of assumptions. They say, they think that we know it, that they they think we know the patient perspective. We have done it before. This is only an incremental product. We already have the voice of the patient. We know it. I think there's a lot of assumption that gets made. And that is where, David, I know we you and I have, have talked before and I, I have a good understanding of where you are coming from. I think you are asking the question more at the strategic level, at the executive level. Are they aware that we have these gaps in our processes, and exactly. what? And what should they be doing about that? Right. That's where the risk is. That's where the from a, from an organization point of view, that's where the risk is. That in post market, you come across an issue, an event, you write up your analysis, send it to the FDA to someone like Adam, and they will yep. begin to question your judgment because you don't have clinical expertise. Now, what do yep. you do? So fascinating, guys. Uh, again, please, uh, please, guys in the audience, I know there's a lot of you listening very intently. First of all, please share your, uh, how you're feeling. You can use the React button, uh, thumbs up. There's no thumbs down, which is a good thing. I love it. And you know, do you like it? How, how is it going with you? Let us know what is on your mind. And don't hesitate to please raise your hand and come join this conversation. Uh, I really invite you to participate, get your questions answered, because most likely, I'm willing to bet that if you're working in the industry in a quality regulatory role or an engineering role, you don't really get a, come across this opportunity to talk to a physician and a regulator at the same time. This is a unique perspective, and I really invite you to participate. So uh, David, I, I want to you know, since you are on stage, I'm gonna you know invite you to ask anything else that you have in mind or any other comment you want to share.
2: Well, so it might be interesting. I'm coming at this not only as a newbie to this industry, but I'm not a technical person either. So I'm, I'm not coming from an engineering or a design perspective. So my questions really are, as Naveen put, from a strategic point of view. But I think my what I'm experiencing in my inability to find the right words to ask the question probably are the same things that are happening for a lot of executives in this industry. Um, maybe not exactly, but I believe there's a big gap between all the technical details, which amount to making decisions. And then the pressures put on the corporate level, which often results in short time, you know, profits, <laughs> what yeah. all we can see in the, in the short term. And so it, there's not only a gap, but there's a dichotomy in, in what their incentives are. And I think that's kind of where my question lies. And, and gotcha. this may not even be a question, but I'm just curious, uh, Dr. Salman, what your thoughts are as to provide good information to close that gap.
1: Yeah. That, so I was actually going, I, I, I'm thinking along the same lines you are now, David. And so um, I think that, I mean, I'm at the point in my career where I can be provocative, so I'm going to say some yeah, provocative things. I love it. Um, the concept here is there are documents out there, there are guidelines out there, et cetera, that talk about you know patient input into the risk process and their pre-market, post-market, their fourteen nine seven one, et cetera, and you know no one is really doing that. So I encourage you to do that and to say, look, we have a benefit from a strategic point of view of doing this because when regulators like FDA say, well, what's the patient's perspective? If you have done that exercise because you have considered them to be stakeholders and you've spoken to patients, patient advocates, et cetera, and gotten their opinion and documented it, you are way ahead of the curve because no one else really has that. And it's all in the dark right now. So it's to your advantage strategically to do that and then to, when you make your application, you have the patient perspective. When there's a problem with the device, you have the patient perspective. Mm -hmm. So get ahead of that curve and get that perspective as part of your routine. So it has a strategic and a business advantage to do that uh, rather than try to
0: recover uh, when you don't. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Now, Andy, you have joined here. So I'm going to invite you to share what you have in mind. Please unmute your mic.
2: Oh, hi, you guys. I really enjoyed your talk today, um, and I wanted to just ask you from an anesthesiologist perspective. I've been recently kind of diving a little more deeply into their regulatory guidelines such as uh, 14971 and 13485 and taking Naveen's course, that type of thing. And I was wondering if you might offer any suggestions on how someone with new experience might uh,
0: um, go with a top top-down type of approach. Andy, just to clarify your question, and again, uh, I have a little bit of, I I know you a little bit better uh, from our past conversation. You have experience as an anesthesiologist. Did I say it right? That's correct. Anesthesiologist. So you have seen the operating theater, you are aware of it, and now you are thinking about maybe exploring some career opportunities in a little bit more uh, sort of quality regulatory or kind of a safety related world right and i I think that could be a perspective to ask this question to Adam because he has seen both worlds well what- um, that's right yeah you you had talked a little bit about top down approach from the clinical
2: um, perspective, and then you know from the engineering perspective, you know g- going a bottom up type of um, approach, and so I was just wondering how um if there's some perspective that you might give on um
0: the opportunity to do a top-down approach. Got you, Adam. Would would you be willing to share some thoughts on that? How to do it right from both, like you know, medical point of view and also from an engineering point of view? Uh,
1: yeah, I think that um, as you mentioned at the very beginning, Andy, you're going through these documents. You're going through the guidelines, um, you know, the FDA guidelines for pre-market benefit-risk assessments and so forth. I think if you Uh, dig into those documents and stay fairly close to the factors they mention, Um, that'll be a pretty good uh, approach for you. That'll be a pretty good answer to your question. And so you'll see there where we talk about things like, we I mean, the FDA, where we talk about things like, you know, what is the type of benefit or the probability of benefit or the duration, and then balance that against uh, the same factors, but for risk, um, that's where you can start to I think take that sort of top-down approach because that's the way you really need to think of every medical device. Um,
0: so from the very beginning. Uh-huh. Um, so was that helpful at all? Um, yes, thank you so much. I really appreciate that. And I will add to that uh, that comment, Andy, is that if you look at FDS guidances, they provide examples to you, and that's the greatest thing they have done. Because when you write it up, give a you know template, it's difficult to understand. But read their examples and how they would. How would they, they would analyze benefit risk in a certain situation. They've actually told you. So um, I strongly recommend that you review those guidance documents and try to absorb them as much as possible and, and apply them. So um, I hope that's helpful. Uh, yes, thank you. With that, uh, Roger, welcome. Please unmute your mic and share what you have in mind.
3: Hi, this is kind of a comment, maybe toward uh, some of the things David yeah. was talking about. I was lucky enough when I worked at a big company, our representative of the patient was really came through the clinical team at that large company. And I think we called them clinical engineers, but I know there were staff people on there that helped organize clinical trials. So whether they're clinical engineers, clinical staff, clinical team, I'm not sure what they are. But I've noticed in in tracking them, it's been many years now through LinkedIn, I see a lot of them are, Operating as uh, independent consultants, so thinking about those out there that want to get access or wondering where they can find a patient advocate, or or, or someone with that knowledge. I I just want to throw that out there. You might mm-hmm. actually look on LinkedIn for uh, clinical consultants. I I can't think of what they call themselves on there, but I know they're out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I just wanted to offer that up for David and anyone
0: else. Yeah, thank, thank you, Roger. And I think this is the benefit of conversations like these, right? It also offers us an opportunity to network and connect with other people in the industry. And I really encourage you guys to reach out to anybody in this audience. Maybe you made good connections. Maybe you find people who can help you. Uh, there is so much out there. We just need to be a little bit open. Thank you, Roger. Glenn, welcome, and I want to invite you to share what you have in mind. Oh, thank you, thank you, everyone, for the talk. Can you hear me? Yes, absolutely.
2: Okay. Uh, so, so I'm a I'm a UX and product designer, and I worked at medical device companies before. And I just wanted to put a comment out there. One of the ways that you can actually get some upfront answers to things, even if the device is still in its infancy and pro, uh, you know not not usable yet. You can prototype things out. You can make clickable mock ups and mm-hmm. walk people, walk clinicians and patients through that experience to get some quick and easy answers up front that can sort of help shape the, the journey of the device. So, just wanted to offer that as a tool in the beginning stages.
0: Uh-huh. I'm so, happy to. So, what you are saying, Glenn, is that make that part of your design and development process. You know, as engineers, we make prototypes mostly to test kind of performance requirements and this test and that it, test. But exactly. what you're saying is that also test how the clinicians and users or patients might actually experience our device. Is that what exactly. you're
2: saying? Exactly. Even a even a very low fidelity yeah. uh, walk, walk through can yield quite a bit of information that's very helpful up front.
0: S- so I think I'm gonna take research. that as a best practice for design and yeah. development plans. Thank you for sharing yeah. that with us. You're so right. Guys, so I think we are at the end of our 30 minutes. This has been a fascinating conversation. So um, in a minute, I'm going to invite Adam for some closing comments. But uh, I want to share with you a few notes of housekeeping. First of all, um, those of you who are new uh, to these conversations, we meet every Friday at 11 Eastern. If you like these, put them on your calendar so that you will know. And I make an announcement uh, a week before about the guest and the topic. Uh, so you could do that. And if you miss any one of these uh, conversations, I will produce a recording in an article with key highlights of our conversation uh, in my Let's Talk Risk newsletter. You can find the link to this new- that newsletter in a comment on this event announcement. And uh, you can sign up to receive an alert whenever I publish a recording. And the third thing I want to sh- share with you is I know many of you, actually all of you, in the audience have a unique perspective, unique experiences, unique insights, and knowledge. I invite you to contact me if uh, you are interested in being a guest speaker. So uh, the floor is open. Please reach out to me through LinkedIn and share your interest. Uh, We will chat and figure out how best to focus our conversation in a future discussion. Uh, With that, thanks, everybody. And Adam, please, if you would be kind to just share a few closing comments for us.
1: Yeah, thank you, Naveen. Um, I think that I just want to come back to um, thinking about your device and and during the life cycle of the device, who is taking the risk, how do I get their input, and then, you know, be provocative about it. Go ahead and, you know, ask to engage. And that's how you will have the safest devices
0: um, with the best adoption. Perfect, perfect. And all of us can take that initiative, right? We don't have to be so high up in the organization to make those decisions. We can be empowered. We can take that decision. Great, great. Uh, With that, guys, uh, thank you again for joining uh, and participating in this conversation. Glenn, Roger, David, thanks for sharing your your thoughts and insights. And Adam, I can't thank you enough for uh, coming on and sharing your insights with us. I wish you all the best in your uh, new assignment and uh, look forward to staying in touch with you. Uh, Guys, uh, with that, have a good weekend and uh, we're going to connect next week once again. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.